Flat Earth, Area 51, Aliens, Psychics, Shadow Governments, Bigfoot, Loch Ness. You know, no matter what it is that people may tend to believe in this life, if it's some conspiracy theory or if it's some uh, off-the-wall set of beliefs, we are the sum total of all of our beliefs. You know, this can be a very beautiful thing, and it's intended to be that way. If you go back in your mind to last week's lesson in which Hiram presented for us six of the most important facts in all the Bible, and they all have to do with Jesus. From His incarnation, that is His coming in the flesh, to His ascension, that is His returning to heaven, there is this thorough picture of who Jesus is, and it was the foundation, or it was to be, the foundation of the Ephesian Christians, and of course by extension for all of us. But of course we know in that day, as it is today, not everybody believed in these truths about Jesus. There were some that believed other things. And so the Apostle Paul is going to set a contrast against that by some statements that he makes to his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from each which God has ordained to be received with thanksgiving of all those that love and believe the truth. For every creature of God is good and not to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of sound doctrine, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and the life which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believer in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attention to public reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the elders." Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly unto them that your profiting may appear unto all. And take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing you will save both yourself and those that hear you. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is continuing his thoughts. Someone has said that what Paul is doing in chapter 4 is that he is climbing into the ring for round 2 with the false teachers. What he is saying to us is that what we believe not only impacts how we live in this life, but it impacts where we will live for all of eternity. So as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, it seems that Paul is revealing four things 
about what we believe, if we can keep in mind that we are the sum total of our beliefs, we are the product of what we believe, it will help us to realize whether or not we're on that trajectory toward what Paul lauds and proclaims in 1 Timothy 3.16 or if there needs to be a course correction. So what does Paul reveal with regard to our faith? The first thing that Paul reveals are some concerns about what we believe. Especially in the early part of this chapter. In verses 1 through 3, and the concern really kind of centers around this idea that some shall depart from the faith. Now this word depart is an interesting word. It means to revolt. It means to rebel, to reject. It means to run away from. If you wanted to put it kind of in geographical terms, departing from the faith, it's not like getting in your car and you're like me and you're directionally challenged and you're trying to go one place but you accidentally get off course and all of a sudden you find yourself in the wrong neighborhood. This idea of depart is that you go to your phone and you put in an address It's the address of a place that is wrong, it's dangerous, it's a place that you shouldn't be, but you intended to do it. Paul says that spiritually speaking, that there were some in their beliefs who had departed from the faith, and Paul is concerned about that. And so to help them with those concerns about their faith, in those first three verses, he gives them some counsel. The first thing he he indicates to them is that they need to consider the source Now what the Apostle Paul does here is he points out some alternative sources to the faith in Jesus Christ. And those alternative sources are deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now you may hear that and you might think about devil worship or occult practices and if only it was that easy. But what Paul is saying is that any belief system, any value that does not conform to the doctrine of Christ, it comes from that other source. And we've got to be aware of that source. You know, over in another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that the devil can transform himself into an angel of light. That is, that what is wrong at its core, at its foundation, can look very right. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about this and he says that may be if somebody comes and presents a Christ that is different from the Christ of the Bible. 2 Corinthians 11 in verse 4. Or it could be somebody who's coming and proclaiming that they are servants of righteousness, but if you follow the deeds and the conduct, you'll find it's the opposite of that. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 15. And so the Apostle Paul is saying something different than you and I hear. Sometimes we hear that one belief system is as good as another. That if you simply believe in Christ, it doesn't matter some of these other details. Paul says it does matter. You need to consider the source. And see if what's being taught is different from what we're teaching you from the the mind and the mouth of God. And so he says, I want you to consider the source. But then furthermore, in his concern about their faith, he says you need to keep your conscience sharp. These other teachers that Paul is warning about in his fight against them, he says they're hypocrites. They teach one thing and they do another. They are, as base as you want to get with it, they are liars. And their consciences are seared. As Paul would put it in Ephesians 4 and verse 19, they are past feeling. 
He says these false teachers have a certain belief system and if you follow what they say, you'll follow in their steps and you're going to depart from the faith. And then he says in his concern about their faith, he says measure what they say against the Word of God. Man, what an important thing for us in making sure that we, as we're the sum total of our beliefs, that we're believing what we should about Christ. These teachers come along and they teach two outrageous things. They forbid marriage, and they command that you have to abstain from certain foods. Now, in this particular occasion, they were adding to the Word of God. They were making obedience to God harder than God was making it, but the principle applies. If it's something different than what God says, if it adds to or if it takes away from, then it's not going to lead you to that foundation of Jesus Christ. You can't build a life on that, whatever it may be. And there's also an encouragement in that that we're going to see in the rest of the chapter. And that is that we have got to roll up our spiritual sleeves for ourselves. We've got to be Bereans. We have got to examine what's being said. You know, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every teacher, every preacher that stands before you, though you may have a relationship with us, though you may like us, at the end of the day, you need to make sure that what we are saying conforms with the doctrine of Christ. And if not, then you need to help us because maybe we've departed in an unknowing way, but maybe we have put in the wrong spiritual address. None of us can be content with that. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us to see that we are the sum total of our beliefs, and so he mentions some concerns about what we believe. But second, I want you to notice that Paul reveals not only that, but he reveals the content that we should believe. You know, it's football season and you hear these little cliches that come along. Sometimes they say defense wins championships and you can't you typically win without a good defense. Defense is important. But you can't win on defense alone. What I want you to see is that the Apostle Paul doesn't just talk about what the false teachers are saying, but he presents the alternative The alternative being the alternative of the doctrine of Christ, which he is going to lay out for us. When I was a younger preacher, I remember there being a few magazines and a few lectureships, and it seemed like the purpose of those entities was to constantly talk about false teaching and false teachers. They would mention a few personalities, a few names. They would mention some professors. They would mention some Christian colleges and some schools of preaching and some pet issues. And they would harp on those things over and over again. And people would go and they would read those things and they would listen to those things. And they could identify those few personalities or those few issues. So often what wasn't done was to play some offense. To let them know what God's Word did have to say. Because if we understand the content of God's Word and we are in that Word, then it doesn't matter the name of the person. It doesn't matter the name of the issue. We're going to have ourselves armed and ready for that. And so when you walk through the chapter in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's interesting all the different ways that the Apostle Paul describes the wonderful Word of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. In verse 1 and verse 6, he calls it the faith. Do you notice that? Do you see that little article in front of faith? This is not talking about a subjective set of beliefs that you believe certain things and I believe certain things. This is an objective, orthodox set of beliefs that's received and that's to be handed down. 
It's what Jude is talking about in Jude verse 3 when he says, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. Now this is going to lead us to believe the right things, but we need to understand that there is a body of truth that's objective that's called the faith. But then in verse 3 he calls it the uh, doctrine. This idea here of uh, referring to God's Word as uh, rather the truth is as opposed to a truth. It's, it's set in contrast with what's false and what's error. What Paul is saying to Timothy is that there is the truth. It's the truth that Jesus talks about in John 8 and verse 32 when he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And then he goes on and he describes it as the Word of God in verse 5. This implies its source, it's divine. And so this faith and this truth is the word that comes from God. And then he calls it the doctrine. You'll see that word as it's found in verse 6. And it's translated teaching in verse 13 and verse 16. But it's how he describes it that's important. It's sound doctrine. We've already talked about this some. It's healthy. It's fit. It's right. It's beautiful. It's set in contrast with what's evil and ugly and deformed. And then he calls it the teaching in verse 13 and 16. This is the idea of transmitting God's word in a formal or an informal setting. And then he calls it the prophecy in verse 14. This again implies that it's a message that's come from God that Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect this. And then he calls it these things. That's a kind of an all-encompassing term in verse 15. All that I've talked about, the faith, the truth, The Word of God, the doctrine, the teaching, the prophecy, these things, that must be the content of your belief. You know, Martin Hanford wrote a series of books, and the first one of these was in 1987. And the premise of this children's book was very elementary, really. It was to to take this well-dressed, distinctive-looking man, and he goes on this worldwide hike, He goes to town, he goes to the beach, he goes to the ski slopes, and he goes to nine different places. And the reader was to look in every one of those pictures and try to find him in the midst of everything else that's there. Now this character is known by different names. He's called Charlie in French. He's called Hugo in Sweden. He's called Effie in Israel. In Great Britain he's called Wally, but in the United States he's called Waldo. Where's Waldo? And that simple idea was you can find him, but you got to look. Now, God has not hidden his will and his word obscurely so that almost nobody can find it. He wants us to find it, but we've got to look, and we've got to look at it as apart from all the other ideas that are out there. As Paul is encouraging Timothy to encourage the Ephesians, he's concerned about what they might believe. Don't depart from the faith. But he says, look, offensively, here's what it does say. And make sure you fill yourself up with that. And along those lines, the Apostle Paul in the third place reveals that there, we must concentrate on what it is that we believe. Perhaps sometimes we come to the place where we believe that faith is something that happens to us, that we're passive in the process. That we're just going to have faith if we find ourselves in the right physical family. That we're going to have faith if we have the right parents, if we have a strong mate 
Or if we go to the right strong congregation, but the Bible doesn't show us that faith happens that way. Thomas Carlyle says that no one ever became a a saint in their sleep. And so the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I want you to focus on what you believe. Don't just hold on to it, but dig down into it. And so he shows him how to concentrate on that as he walks through this chapter. One of the things is that he says to him is, is that faith that you have must be strong enough that you share it. Now, in this context, in verse 6, he says, you're a faithful minister of Jesus Christ if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Remembrance means to set down in front of them. But what Paul, in essence, is saying is that if you believe these truths so strongly, you can't hold it in. You can't keep it to yourself. You've got to share it. You know, that challenges all of us, doesn't it? That not only must we sing it and pray it and preach it, when we're here together, that it's got to be strong enough. We've got to concentrate on that faith to such a degree that we find ourselves out living it, talking it in our day-by-day lives. Paul wanted that for Timothy, and he wants that for you and me today. Concentrate on what you believe. He also says that in this concentration, you've got to give attention. Verse 13. Now what Paul's saying is you've got to make private preparation so that you can make public proclamation of those three things that we've talked about in verse 13 of public reading. We do that here in the assemblies. Of exhortation of doctrine and while that happens here of faith that's shared is a faith that we must prepare ourselves to share with others. We do that by giving attention to it. We're giving our attention to something. Paul says that this needs to be at the top. But then in this concentration, he also says that you have got to give yourself wholly to it. Meditate upon these things. Focus intently on it. I don't know if you know what it is that I'm presenting for you here. It's called an auto-stereogram. You ever seen one of these before today? It's also called a magic eye image. And I know what some of you are doing right now. If you've seen one, you're trying to get your eyes to orient. You've only got a little time. It's going to disappear in a little while. But what happens with these 2D images that are supposed to be 3D images is that underneath this wallpaper-looking pattern, there's another picture. Now, this is a shark. But it could be a horse or some other thing. And you've got to reorient your eyes. And, and if you'll cross your eyes maybe or focus just right, you'll see what's underneath that top layer. Now I suppose there's a sense in which God's Word is like that. As we said a moment ago, God's put the Word out there simply so that the simplest among us can understand what we need to do for life and God in the Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. But there's also a sense in which God wants us to be serious about it. Are we serious about really wanting to know what God has to say in His Word? You know, Jesus came in His ministry and He taught in parables. He could have plainly said, here's what I'm teaching you. But instead he wrapped it in story. And different people responded in different ways to that story. There were some people when they heard that story, they began to to let it churn in their mind. And they began to think about it. And maybe they would go home and they say, what was Jesus talking about when he says, Behold the lilies of the field. Behold the, the grass of the field. The birds of the air. What's he talking about? A certain man had two sons. Had a hundred sheep. What's that all about? And some people are like, I just don't, it doesn't matter. 
He's just talking in riddles. Jesus says in Matthew 13 and verse 13, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing do they do not hear, nor do they understand. Here's a promise from Jesus. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. But we've got to be asking, we've got to be seeking, and we've got to be knocking. Paul says meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. If we believe it, we're going to be investing ourselves in it. Then he also says pay close attention to yourselves. Now Paul says I want you to do this with regard to two things. With yourself and with your teaching. We've often made this, I guess, uh, parallel or comparison. How uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 begins. How Luke says that that first uh, treatise that he wrote to Theophilus was of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. How the Apostle Paul then says to his son in the faith, pay attention to yourself and to the teaching. People are not going to get to the teaching part of us if they see something in us that turns them off from the truth. And so Paul says you've got to concentrate first on how what you believe impacts and changes your life and then you'll be able to influence others who will be saved by your influence. You know, as we pay close attention to anything, I believe God has made us so that we'll succeed. We can pay attention, if we, our desire is to make money, we can pay attention on what it takes in order to make that happen. If we want to win friends and influence people, we'll pay attention to what it takes to be good at that. Paul says pay attention to yourself and to the doctrine, and in doing this, you'll bring about your salvation and the salvation of others. But then Paul reveals one other thing about our beliefs, and that is that there are consequences to what we believe. You hear the word consequence, maybe you think in a negative sense. And consequences can be negative. But Paul is trying to address the unasked question here. And that is, if I do these things, Paul, what do I stand to gain as the result of that? And while certainly that's not the only thing that should drive us, that's the way we're built. We want to know what's in it for me if I do that. Now, Paul could give an infinite number, but he gives several things in this chapter that are consequence, they're benefits of believing the things that we read about, that that Hiram preached about from 1 Timothy 3.16 about Jesus. The first thing is that it nourishes us, verse 6. That is, by ingesting, we receive the benefit from it. It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so you might have known that this was coming. But the, uh, con- the Council of Control of Calories, there's an actual entity by that name, says that the average American last Thursday sat down and consumed 3,000 calories in your Thanksgiving meal. Oh, you had appetizers? You had drinks? You had desserts with your meal? Then it's more like 4,500 calories. You want perspective on that? I know you do. And so what that means is if you're a moderately active male, that's almost twice your daily intake allowance. If you're a lady, that's over twice. I don't know if it is like your house, like it is at mine, but you leave the leftovers out and people continue to graze on that, you know, throughout the day, adding to that calorie total. You know, and there's, this is not just an indictment of, of sweet potato casserole and pumpkin pie and ham or turkey, whatever your meat of choice is. But as you take it in, you're affected by that. And it can be negative. 
But Paul is saying there's something different to be said or analyzed with regard to the truth. If you nourish them up in the words of faith and of sound doctrine, there's not going to be any harmful side effects. Now, if you're ungodly in your teaching, you're going to be ungodly in your life, and you're ungodly in what you believe. That's the case. But with truth, consume it. Ingest it. And it will nourish you. It will make you stronger. Another benefit is is that it produces godliness. Verse 7 and verse 8. When we look at godliness, he contrasts that with exercise. He's not saying exercise is bad. But he's saying that exercise, certainly we know that exercise can become a god, it can become an obsession, but no endeavor compared to godliness is going to measure up. Because godliness gives you profit in this life and the life which is to come. It keeps you from desires that can derail your life and can trap you and keep you there. Godliness leads to a peace, a peace with God and a peace within and a peace with others. He says there's another consequence to what you believe. A third consequence is hope in verse 10. Would you agree with me that people seem more hopeless and anxious these days? If we are being told that we are just an accident, that the universe caused, that there is no power higher than ourselves, no wonder because there's nothing to appeal to above and beyond ourselves. But when we believe the things that Paul is urging in this chapter, it leads to a place when we're dealing with disease and death and devastation. I don't know how many times I've spoken to somebody who was facing all of that who said, I don't know what people do who don't have Christ in their lives. Hope anchors us. Hebrews 6.19 And so when we believe the truth about Jesus, those things from 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, it produces hope. But it also causes progress. Verse 15. I'm not talking about societal progress. Paul's not. He's talking about progress in your own life. He says, meditate on these things. Continue in them, and your profiting will appear before all. Did y'all ever have progress reports when you were in school? I remember especially when I was in the younger grades. In the middle of the school period, they would send home a progress report, a little piece of paper. It wasn't the final grades, but it would have some kind of an indication about how you were doing so far. And, And I was grateful for that because if you weren't doing well enough, then your parents could know and they could help you to to get the grade up or you would or whoever was involved in your education. But wasn't it wonderful every once in a while you'll get one of those progress reports sent home with you and the teacher would say, not only would put excellent, but maybe make some nice little comment out on the side. You, You were ready to take those home to get signed and taken back to the teacher. Paul is saying that people can look at your life and your relationship to faith And they can see progress, growth, difference. Man, if the people in our lives have known us a long time and they can't see progress and a difference in us, then we need to go back and look at what it is that we believe. But as we anchor down in Christ, people are going to be able to see the transformation that's taking place. And the last consequence or benefit is salvation. Isn't that really the bottom line? He says you continue in these things and you'll save both yourself and those that listen to you. Really when all of this life is over, where we spend the next life is what matters more than anything else. And Paul says, put your faith in Christ and that's the ultimate outcome. Share it with others. 
And they can have the same thing. You know, it's really funny what people believe. In the 19th century in England, it was widely believed that riding on fast trains drove you insane. And listen, trains had really gotten fast. They were going 28 miles per hour in 19th century England. And newspapers would document proof of people who supposedly went crazy because they rode on those fast 28 mile per hour trains. In our own country, there was a growing belief that aliens were trying to send coded messages to us by flattening our crops, crop circles. People believed that. I mean, even some people with great education, until they found out there were two guys that got drunk in a pub in England. In 1975, they were farmers, and they figured out a way to make these patterns. And then other people found out about it, and they began to imitate them. I'm sorry if I burst your bubble. Some beliefs that we have are harmless. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, what you believe matters everything. In fact, Jesus, in giving us the summary of what his teaching is all about in the greatest sermon ever preached, put this as his invitation. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is the wise man who could stand up to any storm. And the one who doesn't do them is like a foolish man who cannot hold up in the storms. The storms of life give way to what comes at the end. And what Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is, I want you to be ready for the end. It is all a matter of what you believe. What do you believe? And what has your faith led you to do? That's the question. It's the question that gives rise to the invitation that we offer this morning. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, go back and look at 1 Timothy 3.16. If you believe those beautiful fundamental truths, then how does it play out in what you do? Have you acted on that faith, repented of your sins, and been baptized to have those sins washed away? We had a wonderful young man to do that very thing just a few days ago. Perhaps he's not the only one that needs to make that decision. Maybe you do. What does your faith lead you to do? And as a child of God, are you living out that faith? Have perhaps you punched in that wrong spiritual destination and you need to come back home? This invitation is a time of encouragement to you if that's what you need to do. David's going to sing to encourage us. If you need to respond, we would urge you to do so right now as we stand and sing.